This is Dissecting Dragons, the speculative fiction podcast for writers and readers by writers and readers. Hello and welcome to Dissecting Dragons, the speculative fiction podcast for writers and readers by writers and readers. I'm Madeleine Vaughan. And I'm Jules Ironside. This week, White Ladies and Ghostly Cavaliers, a selection of haunted British buildings. So we are continuing on with our spooky season special, which is across October right until the 31st, where we will be celebrating Samhain or Halloween, depending on what you like to do at the end of the month. We are going to be producing a series of spooky episodes for Dissecting Dragons. Last week we looked at cursed objects, and this week we're going to be looking at spooky places. Yes, um, this is partly for fun because, well, it is fun, um, <laughs> <laughs> but it's partly also because ghost stories, particularly the pattern and similarity within ghost stories, which um, you find in England, Ireland, Scotland, and Wales, and is done particularly well there, and sort of I think lays the groundwork for sort of the, the American ghost story as well. Mm. Um, make great inspiration for writers. So this is great fodder for stories, whether you're writing a ghost story or not. I've seen thrillers, crime fiction, romances, uh, you name it. And I've, I've seen it influenced by a local ghost story, even if the ghost story doesn't form part of the actual narrative itself. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Now, we have touched on haunted houses and how they've been used in fiction in the past. For instance, we talked about the Winchester Mansion, um, which was owned by, well, uh, the wife of the former uh, firearms maker of the Winchester rifle. Um, But this week we are going to confine ourselves to um, the United Kingdom. Yeah. Um, so that we, because <laughs> otherwise we could, uh... we could really spiral out. <laughs> we, we could I think spiral we're, out. <laughs> we're we're also trying to confine ourselves to places that we either have some first hand knowledge of ourselves, yeah. or we have some strong personal um, investment is in. Yes. Rather. Um. Little caveat to start with: this is a grain of salt episode. So even though we're going to be talking as if the happenings are actually real. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is a make your mind up thing. Yeah. Um, most strange occurrences are subjective, and just because, it, you know, so they cannot be taken as proof of anything because they're not replicable. On the other hand, a subjective experience is still very real to the person who experiences it. This is one of those occasions where two things can be contradictory and simultaneously hold some of the truth at the same time. Shall we say? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and it's also worth mentioning, of course, the fact that, you know, a place can become haunted by its reputation. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so even if there are, there's nothing actually dead attached to it, um, a place which has seen horrors or, or which people are expecting to find something spooky might experience something. And we are not saying, because I, I thoroughly believe that people... There are some people who come up with ghost stories and sightings and things who are just lying. Um, and 
yeah, I think they're making it up. But I do believe that some people really do see things or feel things, whether that is because of something in their own mind, um, because of some external factor such as you know, electromagnetic waves um, or sounds which they can't quite make out, um, or something supernatural or something science just can't yet explain. We leave that up to you entirely, guys. Yeah, definitely. Most things have a normal, natural explanation. Even if there is no immediate explanation, remember that the human brain is a modelling system. So it takes information from your five senses and creates the most likely picture it can from them. Um, this is greatly affected by your mood and your mindset. Uh, so I could on one day look at something and get the information from my senses that says wood, rectangular, low and come up with the word coffee table yeah and on another day i might look at the same things and get wood rectangular low and get coffin so it really you know your brain really can be fooled in that way and that's not necessarily the same as being wrong or being deluded yeah it's just you know the information that you've got has not been processed in a way that perhaps everyone else would process it at that time. There's a, there is a reason why traumatised and grieving people seem to be more likely to see ghosts. Yeah. doesn't mean they're wrong. Um, but there are also some people who are naturally more perceptive in the sense of they can tune into, if you like, the history of a place, the flow of time. Hmm. Um, this is kind of a hypervigilant observational probability awareness, which seems like a really long way of saying um, psychic. And I'm, I'm actually not saying psychic at all. I'm just saying this is someone who can look at something and instead of seeing one scene, they can see all the little clues and things within that scene subconsciously. And their brain, a modelling system, takes those clues, puts them together and presents them with a remarkably accurate picture. Yeah. So accurate that then they can go and read something on the area which they've never read before and find out that actually the thing that they kind of saw when they were in that place did actually happen almost exactly as they've seen it. I mean, that's just someone who's very, very good at using the senses that they've got. And in some respects, being psychic is kind of like being really able to use your five senses. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I say this, a writer of paranormal, <laughs> supernaturally ghostly <laughs> fiction. Um that doesn't mean I'm ruling out things like ESP and that, because you know what? Who knows? I, I come from a science background and I will apply logic and reason first. But there are times when those things don't stretch far enough um, and we don't have all the answers. And it would be a very dreary life if we did have all of them, in my opinion. Yeah. Absolutely. So while we're not saying ghosts exist, we're also not saying they don't exist. But remember Occam's razor, okay? Don't immediately leap to the least likely explanation because <laughs> it's probably the most likely explanation, which is the correct one. Yes. Um, and if after we've told you about these haunted spots, you feel inspired to go and visit them, be sure to snap a picture and to tag us in anything you post up on Twitter or on Facebook because we'd love to know whether you've had any spooky experiences and what you think of the locations that we are about to talk about today. Yes. Um, also, when we're talking about our own experiences, obviously these are subjective experiences. We're not offering them up as proof. We're merely offering our own experiences for entertainment purposes. Yep. Okay, on that note, Jules, why don't you kick us off 
with the ancient <laughs> ram. Yeah, see, the ancient ram is just down the road from where I work. So if you happen to visit that one, guys, be sure to look me up at the library. <laughs> um, uh, the, the ancient ram is a building in Wooten Underedge. It dates back nearly a thousand years. Uh, the site itself appears in the Doomsday Book. And we know that the area has been settled since the late Bronze Age, at least, and possibly even before that. So this is a very old part of, of, of England. Yeah. Um, the ancient ram itself, the building or parts of the building as it stands now date back to the 1100s. It was originally used as housing for the... Uh, the builders and masons who were building the nearby medieval church of St. Mary the Virgin. And so it was owned by the church. Uh, it was very briefly a rectory rather while the main rectory was being built in the town. And then after that, it became a public house, a tavern, if you will. <laughs> <laughs> and as a tavern, it was owned by this lord and that lord and whoever in between. Obviously, you'd have the main person, the main tavern owner. Um, but it saw several centuries of history right up until the 1950s, when I believe is the time it, but the last pint was pulled there and it passed into private ownership. Might have been the 1960s, actually, thinking about it. Um, but all through that time, it has enjoyed, basically enjoyed a very checkered history. There's all <laughs> sorts of things that happened around there. And there's been all sorts of discoveries made in the ancient ram. And if you look at it now, it's kind of this low sagging building that looks kind of like it might be late 1700s, but is actually much, much older. Mm. It's weird how it's set, as in there are steps leading down from the road to the front door of the ancient ram. Um, but, you know, it, despite the fact that obviously door sizes have, have got significantly larger over the last few centuries. Yeah. Um, even so, the door is set like it's halfway down into the road, so you have to go down the steps to get it. And obviously, over the centuries, the, the road levels have risen, which just shows how long the ancient ram has been there. Um, and it it's, it's a creepy place. I used to know the man who owned the ancient ram and lived there and had some very strange experiences. <laughs> it just... It... It's definitely, I mean, even looking at pictures of it, it kind of, it sends a chill down your spine, doesn't it? Yeah, I mean, in some respects, it's sort of picturesque, but in others, it kind of looks like it's sat there brooding. And uh, I'll just go, sort of go through, some of, some of these things are things which um, have basically been recorded by various people mm. who've been around the ram, etc., um, and some of these things are things that have been told to me directly by people who have visited the ancient ram and happened to come into the library afterwards in a bit of a state. <laughs> <laughs> and then I'll give you my own feelings on the place because okay. I walk past it almost every day when I'm at work because I walk around to that sort of area. There's a, there's a nice piece of the Cotswold Way that I like to do in the mornings before work. Mm. I couldn't possibly sound more middle class, but this is a fitness <laughs> thing, I promise. Um... Right, so the ancient ram is allegedly built on a ley line. Um, and looking at it on a map, you can see it in line with things like uh, churches and with you know what is known as Holywell Lees, which is part of the stream that, that follows part of the Cotswold Way nearby and various other things. And we know from, certainly from the Alfred Watkins sense of the old straight track, i.e. 
being an ancient track that runs through various sacred sites um, that's been travelled for thousands of years and the fact that we, we are creatures of habit as humans and like to build roads and things on top of these and we also like to build um, <laughs> churches on top of old pagan holy sites and things. <laughs> it's entirely possible that there is an Alfred Watkins style, style ley line. Um, if we're talking ancient earth energy, mm-hmm. not sure. Although the, the ram definitely has a, an ambience about it, shall we say. Yes. Um, deep within the bowels of the ram, under the stairs, they excavated the area and they found the bones of children. And the more lurid imaginations suggested that this was, in fact, a practitioner of child sacrifice during pagan times. Uh, this doesn't bear out with what I know of the Bronze Age. Mm-hmm. You know, children were cherished, not sacrificed. It's just not very likely. It, it does, however, sort of bear in with later practices of unwanted children being trapped under hearthstones and things in order to act as household guardians, um, which would have been sort of during the late 1600s. Um, it was not an approved practice by the church, by the way. But this was something that happened in Britain and France. Right. And is, you know, this was an area before the stairs and everything were built there that, you know, would have been a hearth area. So that's a little bit disturbing. Um, you move down from there into the kitchens. The kitchens, sometimes people have seen men in long, dark robes moving around there, chopping things up. Um, just that's herbs useful. and flowers, not. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, and, you know, they, they've they've gone down there, said something, and then turned and realised that the, the men aren't there. Mm. So this could just be sort of like an echo of the monks who lived there while the church was being, you know, it was it was kind of like a, a priory house. Yeah. In between, um, you go up the stairs, and there is a room where there is a cavalier who is supposed to appear. Um, not not a laughing one either. Apparently, he's quite a sinister fellow. Okay. <laughs> Um, further along the corridor there's a room called the bishop's room now I have actually met the person who one of the people rather who went into this room kind of as a as a medium and um, had a really unpleasant experience the bishop's room the, the understanding is the bishop's room is where there is an entity that really does not like visitors in the house Uh, This person opened the door and entered the room and was then bodily flung back across the corridor, apparently. Right, okay, that's a good welcome. Um, There are a number of ghosts attached to that room, uh, including the dark presence of... He wouldn't have been the bishop, so I'm not sure why it's called the bishop's room, but, you know, we say the bishop for lack of another title. Mm -hmm. Um, There are also again, three monks that cross the room at certain points, which, you know, if you're sleeping in that room, that's kind of a bit disturbing. <laughs> Between that and the cavalier that's kind of like, I'm just going to walk on through, it's like, yeah, everyone come in, get a bus, you know? <laughs> uh, so, super creepy. Uh, above your head, when you're in the bishop's room, you should be able to hear frantic footsteps walking back and forth as if pacing, and then the sounds of a struggle, and then after that, um, the sound of something heavy dropping. And there was a maid who was murdered in the attic and left hanging there. Oh, my God. It's seen a lot of murder, this place. Mm. There 
in the middle of the night there is a child that cries somewhere on the property and you'll get up and you'll search for it and you won't be able to find the child because there is no living child obviously but it's something that disturbs people um and the chap who owned the place who i spoke to quite regularly he used to come into the library once a week he'd sit and read the paper and sometimes he'd chat to me and he bought the place in the late 1970s he sort of fell in love with it mm -hmm. and things got so bad there that his wife left him and took the children with her oh wow okay but he stayed and he wouldn't leave and he wouldn't leave despite the fact that fairly regularly something cold would grab him round the ankle in the middle of the night and yank him out of bed what that's that's a determined man i'm <laughs> gonna lie i did Wait, after he told me the story I did once ask him why did you stay there and he said well because it's my home where else would I go and I'm like okay he this this person really really loves the building um and he did run ghost tours and things and people used to you know I think the, the actual place the ancient ram has been featured on various ghost hunter programs you can probably find them on YouTube if you want to have a little look yeah um he died about four years ago now I think so you know can't ask well in theory you can't ask him questions about this anymore <laughs> but he did actually speak to myself um they had a priest in to exercise the place at one point and that priest did not get on very well with it and actually said you know this is the most evil dwelling i've ever entered i'm never going back and absolutely would not go back in there had a, i think he had another bodily flung across the corridor experience wow um and there's few things that i you know i haven't even touched on um there's so many ghosts there that they must be jostling for elbow room genuinely there is a motorbike that passes by outside at certain on certain nights of the year usually sort of in november and it goes faster and faster and faster to the point where you think oh god it's going to hit me and then it just stops and it, it's not there it, it's it's gone um someone died in a motorcycle accident in the 1970s outside the pub it's like the dwelling kind of absorbs anyone who dies nearby and they don't get to leave. Kind of like the Roach Motel, they check in, but they don't get to check out. Wow, that's terrifying. And is it still private own privately owned? It's privately owned now, but you can do ghost tours there. Um, my brother-in-law went and stayed there overnight with a bunch of other people on a ghost tour. He saw absolutely nothing, found the building a bit old and dingy and it's like, yeah, there, I think there was something, but the people I was with were giggly and talking and weren't really paying attention to what was going on. So there was nothing, you know, there was almost nothing for anything there to work on, in, in his opinion. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, he had no weird spooky experiences. It has got a this thing, a, a reputation whereby if you go past, it sort of drains the life out of your phone. And that's something I have noticed, as in I'll start with a fully charged battery and I'll walk past the ancient ram and suddenly it's at 50% and it's weird. It's happened a couple of times. Okay, well, this is, that's it. I've got to go. <laughs> but have I ever actually seen anything there? No, I've never actually seen anything. I just have a very strong, um, I don't want to touch that building feeling. And I walk quite close by it, as I said, and I walk past it regularly. And I find it impressive as a piece of history. Do I want to go in there? Uh, not really. I would. I'm not afraid to go in there. 
but it really does have an ambience and it could potentially just have an ambience because it's been there so long it has this sense of genius loki yeah okay what a way to start us off i'm, I'm already like bouncing i'm like i want to go see it right now <laughs> that sounds so spooky and so cool it does have a weird feel it has a weird vibe it has a weird vibe is the best i, I can do yeah you kind of have to see it for yourself and you, you know on some days it's just it's weird it sits there and it's quiescent and it's just a building and on other days it sits there and it feels like it's brooding that's the best way i can describe it i mean it. it does sort of look like because the because of the way the door is if you look at it it does almost look like it's crouching something that's just sort of crouching waiting to pounce doesn't it yeah yeah i can't explain why on some days it it's just a building and some days it it really distinctly feels like it's a building and something else a building with with an opinion <laughs> an opinion on you as you walk past <laughs> a building that's judging you yes okay all right so um the building i'm gonna bring up now um is i've got two places in winchester both old drinking holes uh, but i'm gonna start with hyde tavern in winchester on hyde street it is allegedly uh the oldest pub in winchester um though you will find if you come to winchester there are a few places which claim this <laughs> this title yeah. for themselves including the old oak which is further on the high street so um the high tavern is an interesting one um it's 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 a quite an interesting looking building as well um it's stuck between two uh other buildings on the street on a very old very old street red brick um and it it's much shorter than both of the buildings on either side of it so it's like you've got a certain level of height and then you just go whoop and you go down and it's this terraced, terraced, but very friendly looking external uh, tavern, um, very bright, um, low windows and you go inside and it's, it's, it's small, it's roomy, um, it's got a very bohemian kind of feel to it um, and it's well worth going. Before I ever went to the Hyde Tavern, I had already knew that it was supposedly haunted. It's got a few ghosts attached to it. Apparently there's a poltergeist. Um, but in particular, uh, when people used to stay overnight, they used to be haunted by someone who would pull the bedclothes off of them in the middle of the night. And they would wake up to find their bedclothes tied up into a knot in the middle of the room. That's just rude. I know, it is. It's totally rude. <laughs> Supposedly what happened was that a young woman um, during a very bitterly cold winter came to the door and asked uh, to come in, basically. She, she was a beggar and she was turned away and so she froze to death outside. And ever since then she's haunted the Hyde Tavern and anyone who, who stayed there by basically sort of making them feel very cold or stealing the, their bedclothes perhaps to try and get warm herself um so that's the ghost who's attached to the high tavern um it's a very friendly little pub i'm i've got to say though when i've stepped into it and i've been there several times that now because we've performed there the high tavern also has a um sort of there's a place 
a, they've got a cellar beneath, which is a very popular little, little music venue. So they actually get quite a few musicians who come through um, and they do have sort of folk nights and my folk choir have performed there on several occasions. So it was a lovely little venue, as I've said, very friendly, really, really enjoyable. There's an atmosphere to it. Yeah. And at certain points going in there, um, I felt like there's been a pressure on the top of my head like a, a sort of a low thrumming headache. Not the kind of headache you get from, you know, place which is loud or there's too much music, but um, like suddenly all of the blood sugar sort of, you, you've got low blood sugar, feeling a little bit faint, feeling uh, like you're in a place which has got incredibly low ceilings and you've got to sort of uh, not sort of bow your head down and it's quite it can be quite an uncomfortable feeling now yeah. um as i've said a few times i've been there I, I tend to be performing um if not at it close by so it could very well just be that i've gone in there and then been hit by low energy because i've been you know singing and and doing all sorts of stuff which is very very possible but for me the high tavern is synonymous with that kind of uh that sense of something spooky within it um, but it, it's well worth visiting i do highly recommend um, everyone who comes to winchester check out the high tavern um, if only just to sit and have a have an ale <laughs> yeah cool yeah so that's the high tavern not as freaky as the ram gotta say <laughs> The ram has been clocking up it's, it's, dead people it's been, yeah. for the like, last thousand years, though, in fairness. <laughs> it's, it makes me think of Bly Manor from The Haunting yeah. of Bly. <laughs> it's just like, if you've died even close to it, we're going to take you. <laughs> yeah, or Stephen King's Rose Red, which was based on the Winchester Mansion, wasn't it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay, um, one I haven't actually visited. Again, my brother-in-law has. Uh, this is the Swan Inn in Stafford. Uh, which is supposed to be super spooky and you can you know it obviously does ghost tours and ghost you know they, they arrange ghost nights and things and allegedly there's there's two things that are supposed to have happened here although there's supposed to be lots of little ghosts everywhere mm -hmm. but the, the main one again a maid hanged herself suicide this time in the attics apparently she was pregnant um, at a time when it was not okay to be pregnant and out of wedlock and at night you can hear the rope creaking or you can hear, hear footsteps over said, overhead and the sudden thunk drop of something, as a, of a chair falling over. Right. So, uh, you know, that's what people go there to experience. Allegedly, slightly later on, during a time of, you know, want, um, during a time of, of famine, when there wasn't as much food and things about, the innkeeper of the swan at the time was doing very well making meat pies. Oh. <laughs> and, you know, there were certain guests who went missing and were allegedly processed in the basement of the swan. Right. <laughs> and pickled and made into pie. You know, I think the whole cannibalism thing might actually be a bit more widespread than we like to believe. But whether that actually happened at the Swan, I don't know. That might have been a lurid Victorian edition after Penny Dreadfuls like Sweeney Todd. Yes. Um, but again, brother-in-law went there, said yes, it has that certain strange atmosphere, but didn't didn't see anything himself. Mm, okay. That's fantastic. 
Um, uh, well, not fantastic about cannibalism or anything like that, but, uh, you know. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so uh, I want to mention my second drinking hole in Winchester, which is the Eclipse Inn. Now, the Eclipse Inn, very, very close to the cathedral. Literally, actually, if you walk up one of the paths to the cathedral, the, the Eclipse Inn is right there. Um, the Eclipse Inn is fantastic because actually this whole area is very very haunted there is a shop literally just on the the eclipse in it's kind of on a corner and the shop on the other side of the corner um apparently has a poltergeist which has also messed up things and frequently messes things up and people can feel it so and obviously the cathedral itself is very haunted and the grounds are haunted by all sorts um but uh the eclipse in um is a fantastic building um it's well worth going i mean if you're going to the cathedral you might as well just stop by the eclipse in because it, it it's a very um it's a beautiful old building um it's very atmosphere atmospheric um it is also and this is historically known the execution ground of a woman named dame alice lysel she was executed in September, I believe, the first, the second of September, sixteen eighty-five. Uh, now, a little bit of a history lesson here about why uh, Dame um, Alicia was, or she's called Dame Alicia, or sometimes she's called Alice. Um, why she was killed? Now, what had happened was that she had provided shelter to a couple of refugees who had just come from the Battle, battle of Sledgemore, um, which was part of the, uh, of the Monmouth Rebellion, for anyone who's, who's a history buff. Yeah. Now, what she didn't realise is that one of the two refugees who she'd welcomed into her home was actually a wanted fugitive. He was actually a traitor. And, of course, the punishment for sheltering traitors was death. Now, at the time, there was a man, he was, he was Judge Jeffreys, um, who had a very particular agenda. I know Judge Jeffreys. Yeah, Judge Well, Jeffreys. not personally. It's like, ah, Judge Jeffreys, he's still around. Um, but he had a very particular agenda and he wanted to make an, an example of Lady Alice. So she was brought uh, before a court. Um, she was charged with harbouring the king's enemies. Um, she lived in uh, Ringwood in a house called Moyles Court. Um, so she was brought to trial. On three separate occasions, the jury found her innocent of the crime. And every time they found her innocent, Judge Jeffreys would basically say, nope, review, review, and he'd send them back. So that three times they came back and said she's innocent. And on the last time where a lot of pressure had been put onto them and at this point they were probably fearing for their own lives, they finally found her guilty. So there was a lot of coercion there. Judge Jeffreys was a very nasty person. So he immediately said, right, great, fantastic, we're going to burn her at the stake. Lady Alice obviously wasn't particularly happy with this idea, so she actually appealed to the king, um, who was James II, and she said, listen, I'm, I'm a lady, I'm a gentlewoman, I have the right to be beheaded. Um, yeah. To which he conceded, he basically said, yeah, absolutely, um, he, couldn't, he couldn't go 
he couldn't backrun and say, no, you're not going to be executed. But he, he did say, yes, you can at least be beheaded, which was obviously going to be a quicker and less painful death. So uh, Judge Jeffries, he wasn't even content with this. He wanted her dragged through the streets of Winchester, where she was going to be, um, where she was going to be executed. Um, literally dragged um and once again uh the people of winchester all came together and said we're not doing that um the clergy also came forward um and so she was very peacefully and quietly taken to the eclipse inn where she spent her last night and outside of the eclipse inn a very hasty scaffold was built so that on the morning when she was to be executed, she could actually step out of the top story window onto the scaffold straight away. Yeah. Um, and she was executed there. She was beheaded um, in front of um, all of her family. Some say she was hanged, but um, I, my understanding is that, yes, she was beheaded um, in front of everybody. Since then, she has haunted the Eclipse Inn. I should also say she hasn't just she hasn't just stayed in the Eclipse Inn. Apparently, um, Lady Alice is a very busy ghost. Um, <laughs> she she haunts ver various areas around Winchester, um, including obviously her own home as well. But she's haunted in particular the Eclipse Inn. Um, and she can be seen wearing a a grey woolen dress, so the clothes that she would have been put in for her execution. And she's seen around um, in the top floor of of the um, of the Eclipse Inn, where she, apparently she just sits in the dark, and people will spot her just staring very somberly in complete silence out of the dark corners of the um, of the Eclipse Inn. Uh, apparently, every now and again, she also nudges people. And sometimes it's said that if you're in there at certain times, you can actually hear the very quick rushed hammering sounds of them building a scaffold, which is, of course, the last thing she will have heard um, on that final night where she was resting in the inn, listening to them build um, her execution scaffold. Interesting. Yeah. I hadn't heard of her, yeah. but I obviously had heard of judge jeffries and as little aside i will mention judge jeffries tavern in pub whatever it's now called i think it's actually a restaurant in dorchester okay go on uh, dorchester's where i was born um and if you walk up dorchester high street you'll see basically different centuries sat next to each other mm. it was one of the first roman towns in in england and um <laughs> it was it, from there it's it's just been used and built on and built on and you've got Georgian buildings next to Queen Anne style next to Victorian buildings next to these little 16th century 17th century black and white buildings mm -hmm. um, and Judge Jeffrey's personal house in Dorchester was this place on the high street and he allegedly did not have much rest himself and haunts the upper stories of what is now Judge Jeffrey's restaurant, which is a very nice four-star restaurant, by the way. So if you're in Dorchester, definitely check it out. Um, but yeah, he was in the later years of his life because during during the time when it was between, well, it was Cromwell's War, wasn't it? Yeah. 
it, it between the Catholics and and he was very very bent on hanging as many Catholics as possible. He's actually known as the Hanging Judge, and yeah, he was not a nice bloke. And many many attempts on his life were made, probably quite justifiably. I wouldn't normally condone assassination out of hand, but he was probably someone who had earned it and had it coming. Um, and he had a, his, allegedly a little bolt hole away in his house that he could hide in, kind of like the priest holes that the priest used to hide in for him yeah. when, when he was sending people around to, to grab them. Um, so, irony of ironies. Yeah. So, yes, he has not rested well either. Well, that's what you get for sentencing so many people to death. But, yeah. Yes. I think... Your paranoia follows you into the next life. Yeah. <laughs> But yeah, I think really the thing that makes the Eclipse in so frightening is the fact that this is historical. We know that this definitely happened. We know that someone was executed there. This is not fanciful. This is not, um, you know, urban myth or anything like that. This is recorded history. Yeah, in fact, most of the, you know, sort of the UK type ghost stories do definitely have their basis in actual historical fact. Yeah. Um, that's, I think, why why we maybe do ghost stories a bit better than, than certain other places, just because we have that breadth of history to draw on. <laughs> we write everything down. <laughs> okay, um, moving down to Devon and Buckland Abbey and the ghost of Sir Francis Drake. Ah, Sir Francis, how are we doing? <laughs> Uh, Buckland Abbey is a beautiful building if you're in Devon. It's on the edge of Dartmoor. Dartmoor again, beautiful place to visit, definitely worth a look and you should check out Buckland Abbey, it's lovely. Mm. I can't say I felt anything unusual there at all and I certainly didn't see the ghost of Sir Francis Drake or his or his great pack of hounds. Um, what I find interesting about this is obviously Francis Drake was... Uh, a privateer for Elizabeth I. Mm. Um, he sank many Spanish ships and you know brought back the gold to England. This is largely how Elizabeth managed to refill the coffers after her father had largely pissed everything up a wall. Um, <laughs> and yeah, so over here he's considered something of a hero. In Spain, he's kind of El Diablo understandably because we were making spain a lot poorer by stealing stuff from their ships yes on the other hand spain was not necessarily treating us very well uh we had a bit of an ongoing thing because spain thought we should be catholic and elizabeth kind of was like no i'm following my mother's understanding of religion but largely she didn't really burn catholics she didn't persecute people with the enthusiasm of her sister mary for example yeah uh, unless they really sort of it was kind of like keep your religion private within your own home and I'm not going to look too hard at it and the people who really flapped in your face well unfortunately I need to make an example I'm not saying she was right or wrong but this is how things were in the 16th century yeah um, anyway Francis Drake was apparently too much of an adventurer to rest after death and he can now be seen on I think four different nights of the year racing across Dartmoor with his great pack of black hellhounds uh, looking for the guilty to hunt. Um, what's particularly interesting about this to me is that there are legends about a huntsman in black crossing Dartmoor that date back r around 2,000 years. Yeah. They go back to 
pre-Saxon times. They go back to Celtic times. And there is a good chance that the stories of St. Francis Drake are built upon the legend of the Yesht Hounds or the Wished Hounds mm. of um, Devon and Dartmoor, um, that they're actually built upon the god Tyr, which is where we get the name Tuesday from. Um, and Tyr was actually a Saxon approximation of a Celtic god who must have been something like Gwyn Apnuth, who was the Welsh god of the dead. Um, and obviously it would have been spread a bit more across Britain. We don't know that's what his name was. His original name has been lost. So we know in Welsh mythology he's he's Gwyn at Nuth. Um, but amongst sort of Devon, Cornwall area, we've probably lost that specific dialect name for him. Although you can kind of trace the, the path back. It's really, really interesting. Um, do I think Sir Francis Drake really careers across Dartmoor with his hounds? Not really. I think... <laughs> I, I'm not. I'm not absolutely not going to throw out the idea that there is a black of, a pack of black um, wished hounds which go searching for lost souls across Dartmoor because that's been a legend in the area for such a long time. Who am I to say? Um, don't really think Francis Drake is attached, but I find it very interesting that this is the Elizabethan um, version of an urban legend in the making. <laughs> <laughs> that's fantastic. And obviously it's done the National Trust no harm at all to have Sir Francis Drake attached to Buckland Abbey. <laughs> yes. Yeah, the National Trust have, have, have really collected quite a few um, uh, haunted locations, including the next one on our list, um, which is Spring Hill House in Northern Ireland. Um, so Spring Hill House is found in Londonbury. Um, it is a rather sweet looking kind of little little white white house. I say little, it's quite a large white house, which um, has seen, uh, well, quite a, it's, it's had quite a lot of history, let's say. Um, it has a very unhappy story attached to it, um, which is in 1816, the owner of the house, whose name was George Lennox um, Conningham, actually committed suicide in his study in the, um, in the house. Supposedly, he locked the door and a maid who was passing heard him cocking his gun. She immediately tried to open the door, um, pulling and, and shoving at it, um, but was unsuccessful and he shot himself. His wife, um, who was actually his second wife, was named Olivia Lennox uh, Conningham, and she had to bring up her children on her own. Um, and she was forever haunted, obviously, by the fact that her husband had killed himself. So there are a lot of ghosts associated with, um, with the house. Um, I'm not going to go through all of them. Now, this is not a place that I've actually visited. However, my partner's um, sister worked with the National Trust. And she and all of the sto some of the stories that I'm about to tell are ones that the National Trust have actually written up on their website. And some of them come directly from the people who worked in the grounds and within the house itself and some of the experiences that they've had. 
So one, okay. so one of the first ghosts that we know of is actually supposedly the ghost of Olivia, um, who is actually a very benign and even quite um, a, a sort of a positive presence in the house. Uh, supposedly she will appear to the youngest members of family. So if you go and visit, she, the youngest member of the family is most likely to see her, particularly children. Um, and actually she's one of the ghosts who, who only tends to appear during the day. She can often be seen outside or on the stairs. Um, and again, this is something that workers have corroborated where they've seen someone in what they perceive to be period costume. Um, walking up and down the stairs or disappearing downstairs and then never re-emerging. So that's one of the ghosts. She's quite benign. Um, the second is um, the that there are sounds of knocking that can apparently be heard. So um, as well as obviously this horrifying suicide, um, the house was also um, used uh, by soldiers during the Second World War. Um, uh, and they started to hear weird knocking noises coming from the nursery. Um, there was a cot that was still inside of there. Um, and the cot was actually ultimately removed and it was actually put in, in Armagh Museum. And when the cot was gone, the knocking stopped. However, at the end of the war, the cot was actually returned and apparently the knocking continues. So these are some; those are some of the stories which are led, which are told through um, the, the the National Trust. Now for the insider experiences, because these these are the ones which really sort of spook me out. So one um, insider experience is that people can allegedly hear the sound of the door of terror of terrified knocking, and the door rattling which they believe is actually the maid trying to get into the office before the person who's in there, uh, before um, the Lord shoots himself, before George Lennox Conningham shot himself. So once again, we have this experience of the moment before death being captured, um, including that terrified um, scrabbling at the door. So that's one thing that people have heard. Um, at night, a child can be heard crying from the garden. Um, because supposedly um, a young child actually uh, drowned in the pond nearby. So they can hear um, the sound of the child crying. What's creepy is, and this is my understanding, and forgive me if I get this wrong, because I might mix, I might have mixed this up with another house within the National Trust, but I believe it is this house, is that it, for a time, actually, the house also became a retirement home. Um, and something that's quite creepy is that up in the attic, there are a lot of suitcases which are just filled with, with objects, as if people just arrived with their suitcases. The suitcases were put upstairs and then were never touched again. So people who found the suitcases opened them and they found like pairs of slippers and pajamas and things all neatly folded, covered in dust, never touched again, never collected, never used. Which, which kind of sends a chill down my spine. Um, but yeah, there's all sorts of things. The other thing is that the house itself is very strange um, and that it 
it apparently you get a very strange sense whenever you're moving around it of actually where in the house you are. It's very easy to get lost within it. In that people moving around it suddenly think they're on the they're on the first floor and they're actually on the first or they're on the second and they get very muddled up very quickly. And finally, chairs which have been sort of arranged in the rooms. Uh, so many people come will arrive in the morning to open the door and they'll find that two of the chairs have been dragged to the nearest window. And every day they'll put the chairs back and the chairs will be dragged back towards the window as if a couple has pulled the chairs up to the window and they're just sat at the window looking out, um, which is terrifying. Um, now, the reason I love this house so much is because of the inside perspectives of all the people who work there who really do not want to be dealing with all of this. And one of my favourite stories is a tour guide giving, showing someone the house. And among them, they had an American visitor, I believe, who claimed to be a little bit psychic or something like that. And so they were being shown around the house and they come to the and and the person who's showing them around the house does not want to does not want to deal with any of the supernatural things at all doesn't want to deal with it so this person they go into the they go into the into the office and they go oh there's a terrible presence here something terrible happened here and the tour guide's like nope right moving on <laughs> <laughs> and the whole general atmosphere was no no you guys all get to leave i have to come back here after all of this we are not acknowledging anything creepy about this place because i do not want to be dealing with it <laughs> and uh, one of my favorite last stories and i do think it was this house or it might have actually been another one um, but again, this is just haunted Northern Ireland. I mean, Northern Ireland is just, in, well, the whole of Ireland really is just brimming with great ghost stories. Um, but my final favourite insider story was a guy who worked in the grounds of, of Spring Hill House, I believe. And he and his grandfather would work, worked, his grandfather worked nearby. And what happened is that every day um, after work, he would pick his grandfather up in his car on the way home. So one day he'd, he'd, he'd been um, up at Spring Hill House or another house nearby. Um, and he was basically called in to do some of the, ground, the grounds work. Um, and he was there. And as he came to pick his, his grandfather up, he pulled up to the curb. He opened the door. And his grandfather didn't get in the car. His grandfather just stood there. And he waited and waited and eventually he just sort of stuck his head around. He said, are you going to get in? And his grandfather looked at him with this look of complete, like, incredulity and said, not while that's in the car, I'm not. <laughs> and his, and, the, and the, the grandson looked around and there's nothing else in the car. He says, I don't know what you I don't know where you picked it up, but you're going to go and put it back right now. I'm not getting in the car until you have. And he's like, there's nothing there. He's like, I'm, I'm not getting in the car. He's like, OK, so what do you want me to do? You want me to just drive all the way back to work and just just what open all the car doors? He's like, I don't care what you do, but I'm not getting in the car. So the, the two argue for a little bit, but the grandfather is adamant. So the, the grandson goes, oh, fine. So he drives all the way back, suddenly very conscious that he's in this car alone with or with something else that he cannot see. He drives back to the grounds. 
He opens all the car doors, <laughs> just stands there for a little bit, and then goes, right, that's got to have worked. <laughs> Comes in, closes everything, <laughs> drives back, and this time his grandfather gets into the car, and he's like, <laughs> and he's just like, don't know where you pick these things up. <laughs> what did he see and i just love to imagine just the grandson within this sort of this little red car or whatever and then you see it from the grandfather's perspective and there's just like this hellhound in the back seat just panting or something (laughs) yeah (laughs) so there we go that is spring hill house northern ireland in londonbury well worth visiting Yes. Um, okay. Well, obviously, a lot of mine are sort of Dorset and Gloucestershire areas because I'm talking about uh, places that I've visited as much as possible. Mm. But uh, the next one I'm going to mention, Maiden Castle in Dorchester. Dorset is not technically a castle in the way that you'd understand it, um, in the sense of there's there's no ruins there or anything like that. It is a castle in terms of a Celtic hill fort. It's pretty high and it's always windy on the top. I used to walk up there with my dad when I was very, very wee tot and uh, we used to take the dog for a walk up there. Um, it was my dad. My dad must have really liked high places because I remember going all the way up on the cliffs at Lulworth with him and, and various other places. And Maiden Castle is this, as I said, it's a ring hill fort. I mean, look up some pictures online at some point, um, aerial photographs, and you'll see exactly what I mean. Because when you're actually walking, it's quite difficult to see. Mm. Uh, it's still well worth a visit, despite it not being a castle in terms of like the Norman stone-built castles. Mm-hmm. And it is well regarded as being extremely haunted. Um, on top of that, a whole bunch of people go up there every year to look out for UFOs. You get a lot of UFO spotters on top of Maiden Castle at night. <laughs> uh, I didn't go up there again for years until I was sort of a teenager. And then I went up with a bunch of friends and we sort of picnicked up there and told ghost stories and stuff. It was broad daylight. So, you know, the atmosphere was not really matching what we were, what we were doing, messing around. Um, but I remember going up there as a child and loving the place just really really loving it loving being up in the wind and and everything and at the same time i remember walking along with my dad holding on to my dad's hand desperately trying to keep up with my 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 much shorter legs mm-hmm. and looking off to the side and very briefly seeing a man with a spear and then tugging on my dad's hand and saying dad is that and dad looked and i looked again and there was nothing there and bear in mind, I would have been about three, so I didn't really know a lot about Roman Britain <laughs> at the time, or about the Celts or anything. And I can't really reconstruct it in my memory. I mean, that's the danger, is looking back and saying, oh, it was obviously this, and putting an adult overlay on something that my childish mind might have put together. Mm. And I I don't know. I, I honestly can't say, I can't honestly say, oh, yes, I saw the ghost of a Celtic warrior or anything, because I don't know. It might have just been I was in this place and my mind picked up all these different clues and put it together and said, that's the most likely thing you're going to see here. Yeah. But anyway, I really like the place and it definitely has that sense of genius Loki, but I don't find it a menacing genius Loki. Whereas I know many other people have been up there and been kind of like quite creeped out and don't want to go there again and don't like it. But I seem to be okay with Celtic 
type monuments and burial mounds and hill forts. <laughs> they recognise been... you. <laughs> yeah, well, apparently I'm okay with those. And I've been with other people who've been kind of like, can we go now? Can we go? <laughs> <laughs> this is not where I'm supposed to be. I'm like, what are you talking about? It's really friendly. It's welcoming. I'm supposed to be here. Um, so there you go. It, it's, it's all about how we perceive um, the world around us and uh, what verdict our brain then comes back with having been provided with that information. Yeah. Lots of history. Uh, I'd have to really delve into sort of Roman and Celtic Britain history to do justice yeah. to it. It makes me think of the time uh, Jules took me to to where was it in in Dorset? The old burial. Bullbarrow. Yeah, Bullbarrow. <laughs> we had a lovely walk around Bullbarrow, um, which uh, at the time I still my leg was still healing up a little bit, so I, I wasn't actually doing as much walking. Um, whereas Jules, Jules was one with the wilds. Um, and <laughs> yes, up the burial mounds like, burial a, mountain mounds goat. like a mountain goat. Um, but it was fantastic, and uh, the, 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 there's some beautiful hawthorn as well. Um, and uh, there was this kind of moment where I almost felt like I could hear laughter. And as we were turning to go, there was this huge gust of wind. <laughs> on our backs that actually almost sent us both staggering do you remember <laughs> yeah but i mean it's always it's always windy on bullbarrow i know it's never ever still but um... <laughs> but i do remember i made a joke at the time which was kind of like we were being booted out or, the, or that someone was just giving us a shove and having a laugh at our expense <laughs> yeah i mean i spent so much time up there as a teenager with friends and things and we'd just go up and sit on the burial mounds and sometimes I'd walk up there you know from a good seven miles away so it was seven miles there seven miles back yeah and I'd just sit up there myself and watch the sun come up yeah um and things so I it's it's not very far from where my my parents house is now it's still in my opinion walking distance Mm. um and I've been up there on full moon nights and things and oh it's again it's not somewhere that i it's definitely got the ambience it's got the okay this is this is something ancient feel about it there yeah. is a sort of sense of presence um which i've tried to capture in one of my books mm. but i wouldn't ever have said i found it threatening myself but then i've been up there with people who've been very definitely yeah we're not wanted here we shouldn't be here kind of thing yeah it's a beautiful place it's very much worth visiting yeah, it's just it's something like fifty feet short of technically being a mountain in height. So it's the <laughs> highest point in Dorset, and you can basically see almost the entirety of the old kingdom of Wessex mm. um, from the top. Yeah, so definitely worth a look. <laughs> okay, so moving, uh, staying in Dorset, but moving uh, a little bit even closer to the coast, we've got Corfe Castle. Yes, um, this weirdly, this is a place Madeline and I have again visited together. Yes. Um, this was this is when Jules took me on her ghost tour. Um. <laughs> it wasn't deliberately a ghost tour. It's just most of the places we went to happened to be haunted. <laughs> no, I didn't really think about that at the time, but yeah. <laughs> no, um, I mean Corfe Castle is a place that I actually spent um, several sort of brief holidays, uh, weekend holidays in as a child, um, and it's the only place where I've ever slept walk slept walked and had a few very very sort of weird nighttime experiences not actually in the castle itself but in Corfe Castle the actual um the, the actual village in which 
Corf Castle, the castle is based. <laughs> yeah, it's um again, if you're doing the tourist thing, Corf itself is this lovely picturesque little village. You should definitely go have a cream tea, proper cream tea, definitely. Yeah. Jam goes on top of the cream, remember? <laughs> um and and go and do the castle. The castle now gets so much more funding um through the National Trust. When I used to go there as a child, and it used to be something we did almost every summer. Um, they didn't have like the tours and the displays of archery and smithing and stuff like that, but they have all those things now and it's amazing and you can walk around a lot more of it. I think a lot more of the ruins were unstable when I used to go there as a child and a teenager. Yeah. Um, again, Castle's definitely got a bit of an atmosphere. Allegedly, there is a white lady who stands on the bridge and she is supposed to have cr uh, committed a great betrayal, although nobody knows who she is. Um, uh, I think she was supposed during the civil war. She's supposed to have betrayed the royalists. I think is is the understanding. But again, nobody can really say who this person is. And honestly, I've never seen her. What I did find disturbing when I went there as a child was standing above the oubliettes. Mm. Um, now, if you don't know what an oubliette is, an oubliette is a place to put people to forget about them. Um, it's in the name, guys. <laughs> It's in the name, Hublia. Um, so yeah, they would they would take uh, prisoners and they would lower them in the down into these deep deep holes below the castle, and then put an iron grill over the top. And sometimes they were fed, sometimes they weren't. I mean, it it was a little bit like the Roman punishment of burying a vestal alive. Uh, what they would do here though was women would be lowered down. And men tended to be just chucked down, which meant that if you're a man, that you had a good chance of breaking both legs and then dying shortly afterwards of pain and shock. Yeah. Um, whereas if you're a woman, you had the misfortune of, of starving to death in the dark. Um, very nasty early medieval punishment. Do not recommend. And the, the oubliettes, you can actually stand above them and look down through the, the new iron grills put on the top. Um, and be creeped out as I was every time as I looked as a child and yet I had to go and look <laughs> yeah um in terms of sort of weird experiences I didn't have anything around Corf I didn't have anything in the castle but as you go further towards the coast on the other side of the, the town there is a playground and I was up I think I must have been moving faster than the rest of my family and got to the playground ahead of them and it had back then, which is admittedly quite some time ago, about 30 years ago, it had older style playground equipment, including one of those long rocking horses where you can sit four or five people along this long beam with a horse's head shape. Yeah. And it just goes sort of back and forth. I don't know what it is about old style fairground rides and old style horses in playgrounds where they make the horse's face look like something out of a fucking nightmare. Yeah, it, but it, it was one of those. It, it always looks like the horse is sort of lost its mind is about to jump off a cliff or, or you know eat you they, uh, i've even seen some with fangs yeah so it's kind of like what were you thinking and i was there stood in this playground by myself and there was a bit of a breeze and then a whole bunch of the playground equipment started moving by itself including that horse it was the horse that really freaked me out yeah the swings were like eh. um and then i realized that they were moving against the direction of the wind Oh, that's a big nope. And I was like, I don't want to be here. And I've never 
okay I have felt more unwelcome in places but that was a very definite I'm not welcome here I should not be here alone at that point my family turned up we did not stay <laughs> not because anyone else noticed anything but I was genuinely kind of freaked out by that I mean admittedly I was like 10 but at the same time I was kind of freaked out yeah that's terrifying. Corf is just, it's a very old, it's a very lovely little town, very much worth visiting. And as Jill said, we, we went there together and we had lovely afternoon tea. Um, and We did. We, we did. We walked up into the castle and uh, had a great time and sort of made all sorts of comments and we were we were having a really good time of it. Um, but as, as a child, yeah, I had weird experiences there. Um, which is we we would stay there um, with my mother in, in in some of the old cottages which we would rent out for the weekend and I did I, I slept walked a few times where I would go I was walking into the to the house and it had a completely different layout to the one that was there uh, to the remember I remember coming down to my mother and saying I need to go to the bathroom and she said okay well just go then and I said there's something in front of the door um, and and she went, what? And I brought her into the dining room instead and I went to the cupboard and I was trying to reach behind the cupboard. Like hmm. like the cupboard was covering something up. And she, she took my hand she said, the bathroom's here. She took me to the bathroom and then she came out and she said, do you know the way back to your bedroom? And I said, yeah, absolutely. And I walked completely down the wrong corridor and tried to go outside. <laughs> Now, what's interesting, and again, this is something I can't verify because I've I've actually looked and I've not been able to find where this uh, this cottage was. But these are, you know, these are old sort of terraced cottages and things like that, which very very likely would have been um, larger sort of longer houses, which were then split up into smaller cottages, um, or sort of long yeah sort of longer sort of workhouses or or things along those lines. Or, or bigger farmhouses or whatever um which with walls then added so it's very possible that at one point there was actually a door where i was trying to reach but at the same time it might have just been a very my very sleep adult mind but i do remember being very frightened by ghosts by 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 unpleasant sensations and feelings um several times visiting corf and very particularly in around um, around Corf Castle, um, and uh, yeah, it's it's just a fantastic place to be honest. Though I really do like going there. Yeah, and again, lots of history. A lot of history, um, and it has a great set of ruins for a castle that isn't actually a functioning castle anymore. It's a great place to look at in, in terms of that. Yeah, absolutely, very picturesque. The, the 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 town is just really lovely as well. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It's very nice. Okay, my final one is Sudley Castle Castle, Castle in Gloucestershire, um, which is over towards the Forest of Deanway, and it is nearly a thousand years old in places. Again, I, I've got all these really old places. And it became the the house where Catherine Parr, Henry's Henry VIII's last wife, mm. lived out the end of her days, uh, along with her stepdaughter Elizabeth I who became Elizabeth I anyway and her her new husband um and there's there's all sorts of th 
things that happen there. First of all, I go there sort of every other year for the Festival of Lights. Obviously, I didn't go last year because of COVID. Um, hopefully, we'll go this year. Mm -hmm. And we sort of have a look around. We walk around the gra the grounds, and they they do they have lights in the trees, and the grounds are absolutely gorgeous as well. And then parts of the castle are ruined, and parts of it are, are okay. And the, the the gardens are well kept up, and everything. And it's it's a great place to visit. Um, lots of history. There's all sorts of ghosts there. People have seen um, blacksmiths working at a forge and then discovered there's no forge. People have seen big friendly dogs sort of gambling in the garden and coming up and asking them to play and then turning around to find that the dog actually isn't there and doesn't exist. Uh, people have seen uh, servants and things about in the grounds. Um, the one that I'm specifically going to mention, other than Catherine Park, and I'll get to her in a moment, is uh, a housekeeper called Janet, who was house who was something of a holy terror. Apparently, okay. Uh, she lived in the gatekeeper's cottage, and she was very harsh with the maids and the other servants, and did liked things done very exactly. Um, when she finally died, a new housekeeper was installed and moved into the cottage, and Janet kept coming back and <laughs> making her life a living hell. As in turning up in the cottage at night and, you know, scaring seven bales out of her. Um, Janet has also been seen, you know, up until the point where the housekeeper quit, I think. Just kind of like couldn't cope with it and left. Um, but it, what amuses me is that this housekeeper, Janet, seems to have been so exacting that she was just kind of really disapproving of anyone doing anything in any other way. <laughs> and she can be seen, even to this day, occasionally checking the levels of dusting by running her fingers disapprovingly over the furniture. <laughs> That's dedication. <laughs> still there, still doing the same job. She must have been really invested in life. Um so, yes, I find it very funny. I imagine if this person has started persecuting you, it's less funny. Yes. <laughs> Can you imagine a ghost turning up and telling you all the time that you're not cleaning to her satisfaction? <laughs> not good. There's a story um, in that. <laughs> in terms of Catherine Parr, people have reported feeling a quiet sorrowful presence in the gardens and very specifically in the gardens where Catherine Parr spent time. Um, sometimes the lady is seen very briefly along with a small girl of about two years old which would have been how old Catherine Parr's daughter was when she died. Um, sometimes they report people you know being passed by someone in long skirts on a corridor even though nobody's there. Mm -hmm. Um, the most common thing is I thought it was one of the castle staff and then realised it couldn't possibly have been any of them. There was no way out on that corridor. Yeah. So very typical stuff and things which can just be kind of locked in memories. And once again, you're reading the room and you're coming up with the most plausible suggestion and it's just scarily accurate. Yeah. So, um, so yeah. In fact, I think I do remember a um, an account um, from the castle which was just a guy walking down the corridor and a woman was walking past in huge skirts and he just stepped out of the way to let her pass because obviously she needed quite a fair bit of room. And she just gave him a smile and he went past and he he was he managed several more steps when he went, Hold on a second, what? <laughs> and looked back. And she That's was gone. <laughs> and that's the funny thing, there are so many 
um, ghostly encounters in all sorts of places like that or you just react naturally in a moment and the chill factor comes later because you realise that it's already happened and it's over but some that it wasn't something that was entirely canny. Yeah. But yeah, whatever, you know, whoever this lady is, um, this, this sorrowful presence, she doesn't appear to be threatening in any way, not like the terrifying housekeeper. Yeah. Um, having been out in the grounds myself, again, I would say, yes, there is definite atmosphere there, but you can also argue that anything which has seen a thousand years of human history... Yeah is going to have an awful lot of atmosphere. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. It's one of those, I think it's probably possible type places rather than I directly noticed anything specific myself. Fantastic. Well, there we go. We have completed our list of some of our favourite haunted locations in the UK. Again, this is not an exhaustive list by any stretch of the imagination. We've just mentioned some of the ones that we have a particular kind of um, connection to. Yes. Um, now, we would love to hear what you guys think. Have you been to any of those locations? Do you think it's poppycock or have you had a weird experience as well? Let us know. Remember, you can get in contact with us via Facebook, Tumblr or Twitter, both through our Dissecting Dragons pages or through our individual pages. Before we go, it is time for our Dissecting Dragons recommendation of the week. And Jules, I believe that you've got one for us. Yes, um, completely unrelated to ghost type stuff. Uh, I'm recommending Catherine M. Valiente's Comfort Me With Apples. This is a short novella which is kind of inspired by the Bluebeard fairy tale. Okay. Um, it has a modern feel to it and it sort of examines the way that you can erase yourself in a relationship in order to make it work. There's a sort of futuristic feel to it, even though everything that's happening is very... that There's no sort of tech or anything like that. Mm -hmm. This is a gated community. This is a group of people who have withdrawn from the world. And you absolutely must be happy in this gated community, no matter what. Oh. Um, it's quite claustrophobic and... And, you know, it's, this isn't this is chilling. OK, there, there is something very distinctly chilling about the book. Mm -hmm. um, however, it's an excellent read and the language is beautiful. So highly recommend that. OK, fantastic. Thank you very much. And on that note, guys, we'll say thanks very much for listening and we'll catch you guys next week. Yeah, thanks and goodbye. Bye. You've been listening to Dissecting Dragons the speculative fiction podcast you can follow our podcast at podbean.com or from itunes for more information visit our facebook page at www.facebook.com forward slash dissecting readers or check out our author websites at jaironside.com and madelinevaughan.com please note no dragons were harmed during the making of this podcast 